Welcome back to DJ Coffee Talk. Today we sit down and share a cup of coffee with Jimmy Dana and his partner in crime, The Greg. We cover an MMA fight that Jimmy competes in at Sleeping Lion Dojo in the equally cold and beautiful Flagstaff, Arizona. We get the opportunity to sit down and pick Jimmy's brain after his definite win over his opponent via submission. Jimmy and The Greg fill us in on their long journey to legitimize the sport that they love and discuss what challenges and barriers they see for the sport in the future. Jimmy is a personal trainer and is currently the lead instructor at Gray Fox Training Academy in Tucson, Arizona. The love and passion that these two bring to the sport of mixed martial arts is unparalleled, and we wish them the best in continuing to do what they love and to grow the sport of mixed martial arts. If you would like to see the fight, it is available on our YouTube channel. Without further delay, let's jump into the episode. Oh, hi. Gray Fox here. We are the coaches of the Indian Mixed Martial Arts team, head coach here, assistant coach Greg. Greg, talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm the assistant coach, as Jimmy said. Uh, striking background started with uh, karate and kung fu, moved into Muay Thai and boxing. I'll provide the guys a little bit of insight on the feet. Mm-hmm. Now, I was a bit of a wrestler, grew up wrestling all around the world, got to wrestle in Europe. Uh, had a great time coming back stateside, started the Mixed Martial Arts Club, and that's how Greg and I actually met over 10 years ago. Insane. Uh, what, what questions do you guys have for us? Well, just give us a little insight uh, where we're at, what we're doing, um, you know, uh, what happened today, Jimmy? So today was supposed to be Gray Fox fight card, got downsized because of COVID phase two. We just had a little half keto showcase. I got to fight the head instructor at Sleeping Lion. I ended up winning via submission. Still got caught with a few things, but hey, that's part of the game. Um, mm-hmm. We had a couple other matches, um, a grappling match, which went well, ended with submission. We actually had it, not a knockout, but a knockdown for mm-hmm. the uh, striking competition. Yeah, a little TKO. Uh, our Muay Thai fighter, he took control, took the knees, mm-hmm. cut his clinch, and ended it with the right hand, I believe. So It was excellent. And then we had the current captain of NAUMMA, Patrick Wolverine Williams. Uh, his opponent dropped out last minute, so Jack and myself just took him on in a round of kickboxing. So that was a ton of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, you gotta talk to him though. He felt that uh, little stainless steel. So he told me, mm, stainless. So you guys, this is kind of a bit of kind of going off the trail a little bit. Mm. But you guys have watched MMA, college MMA kind of develop over the past couple of years. Where have you seen it? How have you seen it develop and where are you seeing it going in the next couple of years? Do you want the truth? Do you want me to lie to you? Uh, I would prefer the truth, but you do what you do. Uh, I started out as scummy as scummy gets. I used to bribe the people at the field house to leave the door open so he and I could set up mats and fight kids. And then it went from that to getting legalized and becoming a sport club, becoming an intramural sport. And now NC2 and the NCAA and NUCA are all working to kind of get this booming. But, I mean, COVID's put a halt on a lot of that. Do you see it becoming like a division sport, like division one, division two, division three? Yeah, Yeah, it's division one and two. Three isn't big enough at the moment. They can't afford it because they have an open division, they have a novice division, and then gold is where the money is. So you have sponsorships, you have contracts where kids get out of college and they can fight for the UFC or Bellator. It's going to be very exciting. So there is a future in it. It's just evolved so much from when you and I were just a bunch of tough guys to now true martial artists. Do you feel like the caliber of fighter is getting better because the system is is getting more clean and efficient? Or do you think like a fighter is a fighter and they're always going to find places to fight regardless? Do you think you produce more fighters because you can pull athletes in and say, hey, you want to try this thing out in college? I can take you from some shit you did in high school and then get you to do this college sport now. Do you think that will diversify MMA in general? Because we're just going to have different flavors of athletes entering the sport now. Repeat the question. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry. Do you feel 
the MMA at the professional level is going to have more diverse talent now because it's going to become a collegiate sport and become more normal in the culture. I think it might hit waves. Mm. Honestly, I mean, this is still it's still small scale. Mm. You know, we have NCAA as part of it. But to answer a question from before, the uh, change that I've seen is interest mm-hmm. from the university side from. Mm-hmm people who have the power to let us compete. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a lot of roadblocks early on. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted us around. They didn't want to see people training. Mm-hmm. Now, it might be the money. It might mm-hmm. just the be money. It's on ESPN now. I mean, things yeah. are growing with the sport on a professional level. Mm-hmm. I think that it's helping out with the people who want to get into it. I mean, they have to find that next generation. College is a place to go. Um, However, with UFC, with professional fighting, you'll have a champion that is the perfect blend of all arts. You'll have a guy who comes through and he's a specialist. He's mm-hmm. a wrestler. You have your Khabib. You have your Israel Adesanya. Mm-hmm. I think with college, it just depends on the roster who's fighting at the times. Um, but I do think that you're going to see a lot of diversity. You're going to have that voice of people who did train at their local gyms are going to come in. They're going to have a place to meet up, learn new arts, get that MMA base going, and mm-hmm. then from there so mm-hmm. I think that you're going to get this big coalition of guys just with ground game and boxing mm-hmm. that they can punch and they can take, have a takedown but mm-hmm. it's going to be their flavor that is going to make them shine through these future events which is exciting 100% I mean, yeah. I'm with it I would tell you that we had to pay money my parents have seen me down thousands of dollars in the martial arts belt testing seminars all this stuff and now what's nice is the kids that are captaining the club get paid to go weekly they get paid to go to practice twice and coach like Greg and I did for free for six years. The other big thing is if you win the college championship, you get your whole semester paid for. If you kids hear that, I can take a ballerina that didn't get to go pro and say, hey, I heard you're really good with kicks. Boom. You could take a guy that lost his wrestling scholarship or football scholarship and bang, he's got a second chance of life. Mm-hmm. So right now they're making me the Southwest recruiter. I'll have Greg be the California recruiter. And we go to high schools and you just say, hey, all the kids that fucked up or lost their scholarships, let's let's give this a shot. You have a chance. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it sounds like like the interest and the desire for the sport is growing. Mm-hmm. But it also sounds like you guys have hinted at the, the challenges or barriers. What are some of the challenges or barriers that maybe this sport has with other growing sports and some that set it aside? Like what makes it hard for this to grow? The result is likely going to end in, in, in an injury. Right. You can't go out and win points by scoring in another method. You have to physically hurt the other person, essentially. Um, as martial artists, it's part of where the love comes from because we know how to train and take care of each other. And however, liability reasons, no school wants part of it. Right. Um, that was the hassle that we had before, especially when you had to explain what the sport was. Yeah. Now you can reference seeing it on TV. Is that hence the whole when you guys looked at each other earlier then you said it's the money it might be the money and then you said it's the money so if you're bringing money in though do you think they kind of just look over that and they say because then they'll deal with the liability at that point if they know it's something that will attract more students and more money to the school so concussions injuries with what's that okay. uh, concussions injuries stuff that will happen with football and then they kind of look over all the injuries and in all the other sports you know, high amounts of injury probably in football and then look over because it brings in a lot of money to the school is a big recruiting tool for schools. Yeah, I mean, football's dangerous, but we have a Rose Bowl every year and mm-hmm. people celebrate it. And when we could, we'd go out to stadium. So 
Yeah, I think that with interest, with people coming to the university to see people compete, selling out a stadium, mm-hmm. once you have that that matching interest, I guess, mm-hmm. that's, I think, where some of the hassle will fade away. You're going to have to something out with that, Jack. The big thing is the money because Division Two <clears throat> is just one team, Pennsylvania and us. What I would tell you is Division One's 11 teams, and they're all big money schools. ASU, you've got the Golden Knights from American Top Team. They get coached by the best team in the world. There's going to be money in this. There's going to be sponsorships. I've been with Combat Corner for a little bit now, and it's nice because doing what I already do, running training videos, going to other gyms and competing, I get paid for now. Not a lot. It's only like, what, 30, 50 bucks for this event. But the point is, it'll compound. The followers compound. The views compound. The reputation builds. Oh, it's exciting stuff. It all started up. Again, I brought visuals, baby Jack. With Chuck Liddell. Sure, it started with Chuck Liddell. Yeah, Chuck Liddell. So I'm, uh, what am I, 15 in this? 16 in this? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I was nice. uh, I had broken my ankle. Good stuff. The same ankle. Hilarious. And then I was showing uh, Greg. I'm going to get him certified in CQDT. So there for the military certifications, close quarters defense tactics. I teach a lot of military police and uh I went to Tucson PD. They weren't having it. Mm-hmm. So I'll figure it out. Uh, we got instructor of modern weaponry. Uh-oh, baby Jack. I'm trying to show you. I'm not just a crazy guy. I have real certifications. Uh, this is from my Ben Sensei. Uh, it's for teaching kids karate program. Let's me promote kids to junior black belt. And then my personal training certifications, NCT, or ACE, I should say, and NFPT. So, yeah. But I like to play a game with Greg. It's called Real and Not Real. kind of helps me because sometimes things get loose and I'll uh, mess up minor details. So check it out. That's legit. And I like what I do. So. For sure. yeah. And for people who don't know, I mean, you guys talked about it briefly at the beginning of the video, but what was your story of founding one of the first MMA clubs in the United States? That's it. That's you? Okay. But what, what, what did that look like for you? And it's a broad question, but I'm just asking it to open the conversation up. What, what, you coming to college, you wanted to have an MMA club. It wasn't something you'd seen at schools yet. Mm-hmm. What, where were you at at that point in your life? And what were your first steps to creating an MMA club on campus? You said briefly that you, you kind of would just bribe someone to go in a room with a couple guys and then it just compounded over time. I mean, how, how did you develop that culture? Uh, eerily similar to what we did tonight. We went as a team. It was me and three other guys drove to Phoenix to go to a dojo and watch the head instructors fight. That was our thing. And I had heard of the head instructor down there. I was like, Oh, he's from 10 plant jiu-jitsu. He's a beast. No, he's going to lose to this guy. We were training. We were loving the sport, but we wanted to go travel as a team, see the pros, see what the next chapter of our lives is going to be and every one of those guys still fights kyle chambers is one of them and i remember every day after practice we saw hundreds of kids and he and i were the last two on the mats every time and again we're the only two that went pro so it's just insane uh the way it started was really just wanting to teach for free i used to hate that they made us charge at the end because for five years it was free if you wanted to learn i wanted to teach you it was that simple oh well, yeah it was a bit selfish because I like hurting people, but a bit selfless because I like teaching people to defend themselves. Um, yeah, big issue is getting funding yeah. through a school to have an opportunity to go and travel with your friends and go and meet a bunch of other fighters, <laughs> fighters who yeah. love the same thing as you. But to get people involved in the sport and interested in the sport, you have to sell them an intangible thing. Yeah. It's not a product. You just have to say trust that this will essentially change your life, mm-hmm. change your focus, your goals, whatever you have, whatever, 
know, you're struggling with, this is a, a way to let it out yeah. and learn a skill. It's pretty hard to sell to somebody. So I would say that's a, a big hurdle going back to before of, uh, not only on the school side, but getting that roster built, it's mm. lucky to have that group that mm. wanted to keep meeting and wanted to grow and wanted to find others. Right. Yeah. That was, uh, it's tough. How, how big was that initial group for you guys? Well, it was you, me, Cole, Tim, probably a handful of other guys. Yeah. Eight to ten. Mark, yeah, eight to ten. Then it grew to 20s. Then we started getting girls coming in, 30s, 40s. And then when I left, it kind of died out. But Julio tried to run it for a year. 25 for a year or so. Mm -hmm. Down to about 15. And then Julio's. Julio, yeah, with seven, eight guys. But then it got better, again, because after Max came in and Patrick, the kid, I gave you this. Again, it got back up to seven, so they need to get to ten for us to get salaries. So that'd be nice. Uh, and then at the time when you guys were creating your MMA club, mm -hmm. did you know? Because I know I mean, so, social media was kind of starting to build up at that point. But did you know about other clubs in the country that were doing the same thing? Or was that completely? No, that up? was us. Like I looked hard and I called around. I didn't understand why there weren't any other MMA clubs, and it was because it was so hard to get the insurance to go through the hoops. Mm -hmm. They knew someone was going to get hurt. And every one of our events, someone got knocked out, leg broken. I mean, it's just in a, in a combat sport where you're trying to hurt people, people get hurt. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things. And do you know how many MMA clubs exist now? Oh, like in the United uh, States? yeah, 14. 14. So there's 14 in the United States. Uh, again, a few of them don't want to participate. They just want to do the sport and train. But the ones that I want to compete against, there's 11 in Division One, two in Division Two. Uh -huh. uh, and what is your vision for what, how do you want to contribute to MMA clubs in the United States for the next like, couple of years? What's your mission look like right now? Helping kids do what I did, but actually make it worth it. Give it a validation that wasn't there before in the sense that, Hey, I run a club and I get 200 bucks a week to actually run this MMA club. And they would have me and Greg take a Dean van and drive them to California, do a wrestling tournament. Then we all go to the beach and wrestle. Like that's been my dream forever. Just be a coach, be a good one. So in the end, I want to be double division champions. That's very doable. We get our NAU TV champs this year, but uh, the division one's going to be rough because our UOB team is like one person mm -hmm. and there's uh, way more than one fighter needed to win a championship. So it's going to be a while. Yeah, we're going to figure it out, but I'm just excited to travel train and just see what happens in the new world. Do you have any like particular idols that you look up to, to kind of, uh, what's the word for it? Kind of plan your journey forward. Do you have any idols you look up to in the sport that have helped you design your game plan of, of how you want to be a good coach and be a good influence to these kids? Who's your idol coach wise? I don't know. Um, Trevor Whitman lately. Yeah. He's out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. He just invests in his fighters. Mm -hmm. Just through every aspect of their life, he wants to be involved and wants to make sure that they're thriving so that they can. On game day, essentially fight yeah. night and yeah. perform. Um, but he also tells them to enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. What we want to get for these guys coming up is an opportunity for something. But for me, when I met Jimmy and we meet, and I knew the group was small, it was a chance to go and hit the heavy bag mm -hmm. once or twice a week. And I didn't have that, so I think that if we can provide a little bit more, that's, that's growth and makes me happy. Mm -hmm. I'd say I'm trying to model after American Top Team. They've always been my favorite. They literally have a specialist from every part of the country for that martial art. They have a judo guy from Japan. So I found my friend in Tucson. He was a judo Olympian. He's from Japan. 
They have a Brazilian guy from Brazil. They have uh, any and everything you can think of. They sponsor the Golden Knights in Florida, and the entire college championship is rigged for them to win the Division One. They've won it three years in a row. And I found out why. The NC2 director called me and said that they got in trouble for fraud. McGregor and his coach basically would pay these kids, the captains of the Golden Knights, basically Patrick, the kid that gave me this tonight, to go on campus of any college campus and say, hey, you want to make 500 bucks this weekend? They would take them off the street, put them in the ring against American top team trained college fighters. Oh, yeah. No shit, they're going to get knocked out and choked out in less than a minute because they're going against pros that train with pros and they're going and they're scooping up garbage kids. So my thing is we got to give them real competition. Uh, um, was that, and what's, what's the, you might have already explained this to you, but what's the purpose of doing that? Is that to beef up your records so that way you can progress forward yeah, in the sport? In boxing, they call it uh, like fostering a fighter. You start with tomato cans, guys that are garbage and have a losing record. Then they give you someone that's a contender, but not too good, probably has an injury. Then you get someone that's actually well known, and if you beat them and beat them in a big fashion, that's your title shot. Um, it's very similar in MMA. It's just a little dirtier. Um, I think it might be helpful uh, for somebody who might be listening. And we keep and we're talking about individualistic like martial arts sports, mm -hmm. but then we also talk about teams. How how does you know one compete on a team? Like what does that dynamic look like? Like so, you're yeah. building a team of individuals. Uh, we just kind of stepped together and went to tournaments, and we would right. register as any MMA. But the way it's going to work now is there's the list of weight classes, male and female. So it goes like bantamweight, lightweight, uh, flyweight. We go all the way up to welterweight, middleweight, light, heavy, heavy. You take that whole team. They register as a team. They get a discount if they fill up every weight class. Just like in wrestling, Jack, you don't want to give up weight classes and give up those points. And so even if you just have a body to breeze... Like, we're trying to find a heavyweight right now. At any of the colleges, I can't seem to find a guy that's 270 pounds and sticks around. Like, most of the time, they come to one, like, this is hard, and they never come back. Yeah. You know? how, do you, how, do you, how do you keep motivating somebody like that? Um, or do you, is it just like you let them go and try and find somebody else? Or I is there a way to get door, people to come yeah, back? decide to open it or yeah. not. I, don't know. I think there's just people made for it, people not made for it. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can push someone or motivate them to get involved and really take an interest in it. But yeah, someone who walks in and gets thrown on their ass and really wants to come back the next day, they're the one that you're going to see at the club. You can give them that opportunity, show them the coolest moves that you know, but they're not going to take that. They're just gone usually pretty quick. So. Sure. Yeah. And this may be a bit of a, a hypothetical, it is a hypothetical question, but how do you, as far as timeline goes, how do you guys see the sport progressing in the next five, 10 years or whatever? What do you think it's going to be? Do you think it's going to be a slow progression or is it building steam? I would tell you, you got to go devils in the details. Yeah. So six weeks, I say we're going to be where we are now. Six months, things are going to want a little better. We're doing team duels. We're doing events, getting ready for nationals. And then hopefully in six years, double division champ. Woo. Okay, we're going to cut the audio version of the episode here because after this, Jimmy gets up and gives us a breakdown of the uh, MMA rules as well as a breakdown of his fight from earlier in the day. And uh, it's a really cool portion of the episode, but it doesn't make too much sense if you're not able to see it. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and check out the full length of the video on our YouTube channel. As always, thank you for listening and stay caffeinated.